So we are in our second week of our September series called Wise Up. And uh, this is going through the book of James this month. Uh, in fact, I have to make a correction. Last week I said that uh, James has four chapters and we're going to be going through one each week. Uh, that was actually a mistake. James has five chapters. Uh, I, I have read James many, many, many times. I don't know why I said there was four chapters when there's five. The only real explanation I can give for it is that, you know, you're, the, the Bible, the Word of God is perfect. Uh, your pastor is very imperfect. <laughs> so sometimes we say things, we just have those lapses uh, sometimes when it comes to information in our head. So there is five chapters in James. There are only four weeks, but we're going to be touching on each of the five chapters throughout this month. So uh, I am excited about the month. Last week we were primarily in James 1. Today we're going to be primarily in James 2. So if you want to open your Bibles, our text verse is going to be out of James 2. Uh, but let me just clarify and give some context for this series. Uh, it is about the book of James. The book of James is a, a short book in your New Testament that is all about living out your faith. It's about living it out through trials and tribulation and perseverance and taming the tongue and submission to God and, and a reminder of who God is, that every good and perfect gift comes from him. And so much about James, is, it's just about understanding God and living out your faith. And the reason we called this series Wise Up is because if you look up the term wise up, it will literally say that it is about starting to understand a situation or a fact and believe what you hear about it, even if it is difficult or unpleasant. I cannot think of a better way to describe the book of James. James is saying to the church, it started saying it to the churches back in the first century, but it's for us today as well. He's saying to the church, wise up. Learn, understand, believe what you've heard and apply it to your life, even when it is difficult or unpleasant. And I can tell you a good bit of the commands that James gives us are difficult and some of them are even unpleasant. But he's encouraging us through that. And uh, I, I pray and hope that you are challenged in your faith through this series that we're doing this month. So with that being said, if you would stand with me, please, we're going to read uh, our text verse together. We just stand in honor of God's word as we start this time together. Uh, it is out of James 2. It's going to be verses 14 through 17. And here we go. James says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied, accompanied by action, is dead. That's not a great way to end a text verse, but it is a challenging way for us to look at it. Uh, we're going to be talking today about the relationship between faith and works. And the title of my message today is, Put Your Money Where Your Mouth Is. Uh, let's pray together as we begin today. Father God, we love you. Jesus, you are awesome in this place. You are the name that is above all names. You are the banner over us, and we praise you for it today, God. And we pray that you would have your way in these next few moments, that you would do what only you can do in our hearts today. Would you transform us, make us more like you, for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and say, I don't want no dead faith. <laughs> and yes, I realize that was a double negative, but it's all about the heart, guys. If you believe it, it doesn't matter, right? We don't want dead faith in our life. And my message today is, is uh, about one of the more hotly debated and oftentimes misunderstood concepts, 
aspects of walking out this faith, the relationship between faith and works in our life. There are denominations that are split over it and how that's supposed to look in our life. And uh, it's something that everyone who loves Jesus wants to have understanding of where is the place for my works in my faith? Do I have to do everything I do for Christ now? Can I, can I still have some things that I do for myself? Does, does everything have to be about him? And how much work do I have to do? What, is, what does it mean if, if I'm not doing enough work? Is there, an, is there enough work that I can do that would please God? Or, or is it never gonna be enough? Or you know, does, it, does it matter that I have interests outside of my faith? You know, is, it, is it okay to rejoice today that Alabama lost last night? Uh, you know, is, it, uh, <laughs> is that godly, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, there's all kinds of things in our life that we have to try to understand the relationship between our faith and the things that we do. And this is especially important for me because I was in bondage to works for years. Many of you know my testimony. That came out of a very religious uh, background and history that I, that I grew up believing so many th things about God that weren't really true, that my life was really all about my works. And it got me to the place where I even questioned my faith and got to a place where I wanted to give up. But for me, in my life, that was actually a really great place to be, to get to that place where I knew that I couldn't do this anymore on my own, that I had to get some understanding about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and to learn what it means to live for him, but also to be able to rest in him. And I would like to stand up here today and say, church, you guys are in luck because your pastor has completely figured this out. But alas, I have not. This is a journey that we all have to go on. None of us are gonna have it completely figured out. But I do believe I've gotten some understanding. I believe that I'm living in the freedom that Christ designed for me to live in in relationship to my faith and my works. And I hope to share some of that with you today. And for some of you, it'll be a reminder. Some of you, it'll be brand new information. But the reality is that God, his heart for us is that we would have a living faith, not a dead faith in our life. Now, James states clearly in this passage that faith without works is dead. It is absolutely dead. It's dormant. It's, it's very, it's not useful at all. And, uh, but he's, and he tells us that works play a significant role in the life of a believer. And it's okay to say that, to believe that. We've had it where it's taken to the extreme where it's all about works, but that's really nothing but religion. And many people have erred in thinking that they were doing their works in a way to please God when that's not really what it's about. But the reality is that works have a role in the life of a believer. In fact, last week we were in James 1, and my text verse was telling us that we are not to be just hearers of the word, but also to be what? doers of the word. That's about works. It's not enough to just take it all in and enjoy it and fill up and get fat on the word and on knowledge about God, but that we are to live it out. So James is just continuing that, that mantra. He's continuing that idea in James 2 where he's telling us that faith without works is dead. Now, some felt that James was too extreme in what he was saying. There's actually early prominent Christians that thought, man, he just is a little too much because it's not about works. It's about faith. And so they, they felt like he went a little too extreme and that even that he might have even contradicted some of the Apostle Paul's teaching in the New Testament. Now, as you go deeper in this, you realize that that's not what's happening, but it can look like he is because Paul, obviously, in, in a lot of his uh, writings in Romans and Ephesians and in other places as well, you see he focuses more on faith in a lot of places where it's about the idea of faith, not about works. In fact, one of the greatest passages in all the Bible, one of my favorite verses that's highlighted so many times in my Bible, you almost can't see it anymore, 
is out of Ephesians 2. In verse 8, in fact, I'm going I'm to read 8 and 9 here in a second, and most of you are going to know this verse. Even though you may not know the reference of where it is, you're going to know this when I read it because it is so beautiful. Paul says here, For it is by grace that you have been saved, not, or I'm sorry, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Well, there we go. Paul and James should really get together and decide what they're going to tell us because it sounds like they're contradicting each other, but they're not at all. Paul is telling us here, though, that faith is the linchpin of Christianity. That Christianity rises and falls on faith. If you pull faith out of the bottom of the tower of Christianity, Christianity falls because it is built on and starts with our faith. In fact, if you're here today or you're listening online and you would say that you're not a Christian and you're not sure if you, uh, what all this is about, but you're kind of intrigued by it maybe, but you wouldn't say that you're saved, here it is. This is the gospel in a nutshell. In a very brief passage, this is the understanding that we as Christians have and what causes us to give our life to Jesus. It is an understanding that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, that it is our faith in God and because of our faith in him that he extends his grace to us and he saves us. That it is not by works, that there, it is a free gift that God gives us. And if you know anything about a gift, a legitimate gift, it's not something that you can get. You can't get it for yourself. I know some of us have gone and bought ourselves a gift, but it's not really a gift if we buy it for ourselves. A gift is something that someone has to give to you. So there's nothing we as human beings can do to go and get salvation. Nothing at all. It is given to us once we believe. Once we acknowledge our faith and we say, yes, I have faith in Jesus. When we believe that he is who he said he is, that he lived on this earth 2,000 years ago, he lived a sinless life, but yet died a sinner's death on a cross as the payment for your sin and my sin. And that three days later, after he was put in the grave, he was raised from the dead and he is now at the right hand of the Father and he is gonna bring those to be with him one day, those that love him and live their life for him that that is what salvation is. And it is nothing more than that. It is nothing less than that. It is a gift that is given to us as we believe in him. And it's very clear, and he says why he did that. Paul says the reason he did it that way is so that no one can boast. So that we cannot boast and say, ha ha, I'm saved. God loved me so much that I'm saved. Because we had nothing to do with it. And so the idea is that we're not here to boast. We're not here to think that we're special. It's just that God loves all of us and he loves me. And I believed what he said and what he did. And so I get to receive that salvation. That there is nothing that I can do that could ever make myself good enough to present myself before God. No matter what I do. You know, I hear all the time and it breaks my heart every time I hear it. When, when people find out I'm a pastor and they, they'll say things like, oh, you know, I really, I want to get back in church and I want to I get back in, in my relationship with God. I really want to serve God. But, but, you know, I got some stuff I got to take care of first. I got to clean myself up first. I got to get rid of, you know, I got to stop drinking or I got to stop doing this or doing that. And, and then I can, you know, probably come back. And, and every thing inside of me is saying, no. In, in every way, no, that is the opposite of what we do. Because then we start to think that we're good enough and God's gonna love us. We, don't, we, don't, we can't do enough in a million years to make ourselves presentable before God. You see, back in the day, 
Old Testament times and when there was a lot of kings, a lot of monarchies on the earth, if you were going to stand and you were going to have audience before the king, if you were going to go in the presence of the king, you had to be prepared. They would prepare you to stand in the throne room with the king. They'd even sometimes give the people clothes to wear. If you didn't have nice enough clothes, they'd give you clothes to wear. They'd dress you up, make sure you were fixed up, that you were prim and proper so you could stand before the king and be in his presence. In fact, if you look back at the book of Esther in the Old Testament and the, the king uh, had gotten rid of his wife and he was looking for a new wife and Esther was one of the people that they said, you're a potential candidate to be the new wife of the king. And so they prepared her to, be, to go before the king to see if he would accept her as his wife. The Bible says it took them a year to prepare Esther. That she was getting beauty treatments and lotions, good food to make her coloring good, all that stuff to stand before her potential husband. Ladies, aren't you glad you don't have to get ready for a year to be with your husband? <laughs> At least we hope not. But she had to take a whole year before she could come before him, and then it was in the hopes that he would accept her. And that's all fine and good for human kings, but that's not the way the king of kings works. He doesn't work in such a way that we have to prepare ourselves and be perfect before we stand before him. We come as we are, and then we know that he will accept us, not based on how we look, not based on how good our deeds are, but based on our belief in him. And when we believe in him, his grace is extended to us, and we are part of the family of God in that moment. And then he helps to clean us up. He helps to make us more like him. But that's not what we do at the front. And Paul was emphasizing that, that it's not by works. It's by faith. But I can tell you clearly that James did not disagree with that. He did not say that any of our works or anything we do like that has anything to do with our salvation. It has to do in response to our salvation. James is saying that our faith that saves us is dead if there's no works involved with it. Basically that our faith, it saves us and then because of that, it affects how we live. It changes how we live in our life, that it's not just for salvation. Our faith isn't just to save us, but it's also to make us new. It's meant to make a difference in our life and in the life of those around us. You see, something as good as salvation, something as good as faith and the grace of God in your life is never something that's just for you. It's for the people in your life too. It's meant to be something that others would see, hence the reason that we are to work in our faith because others will see our faith through those works. Now we are justified before God because of what Jesus did. But the, but the, the response to that is that it would change us. So Paul dealt with and talked more about the root of justification. James focused more on the fruit of justification. It's all about faith though. And Paul didn't dismiss the idea of works either. In fact, Paul, in that passage in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that I just read, the very next verse, verse 10, look what Paul says. He says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So even the faith that we have in God, the grace that is extended to us to save us, shows that we are created to do good works, that it's not only a good thing to do, and he's saying here that we were made for it. We were created in Christ Jesus. We were saved in Christ Jesus for good works. And that's a great thing. So Paul's referring to it as well. In fact, in Titus 3, his letter to Titus, he says something very similar to it again. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want to stress you 
these things so that those who have trusted in God, so those who are followers of Jesus, Christians, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things, these good works, are excellent and profitable for everyone. So if we are following Jesus, if we have trusted him for our salvation, we will be dedicated to good works as well. What Paul is saying here is that justification by faith should affect our lifestyle too. That it's not just a mental ascent, but it is a life-altering action that takes place. The grace of God coming into our life is not just about a get-out-of-jail-free card, but it is about power that transforms us. When we are saved by grace through faith, when we say, yes, I believe in Jesus and his grace is extended to us, it's not just to save us, it's also power for our life. It's power to help us to live differently, to live according to his word, to live according to his purpose and not to our own purpose. In fact, the great uh, 19th century British preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he was quoted as saying, a grace that cannot change me, cannot save me. That same grace that saves your soul changes your life. That's the power of God in us. In fact, Paul shares that in Romans 6. Romans 6 is an incredible chapter in the Bible. And in verse 14, a very simple sentence that means so much. He says, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Now this is so easy to read this verse and just keep on trucking and not give it much thought. But church, this is a powerful verse because what he's telling us here is that sin is not your master. And the reason sin isn't your master is because of grace which means before grace came into your life, sin was your master. The Bible's clear, you have no power over sin in your life without the grace of God in your life. To, before the grace of God came into your life, you were a slave to sin, is what Paul says. And then when you become a follower of Jesus, you become somebody that is indwelled with, the Holy Spirit is indwelling in you, and you've received that salvation and that grace that God wants to give you in your life. Once you've received that and you're walking in that, everything changes. Everything changes in your life. You are different. And you're not under the law anymore. So he's saying here in, in Romans 6 that grace is not just, it's not just salvation, it is power in your life. And if you are a Christian today, you have that power. We get the Holy Spirit living in us the moment we step into salvation. And so this, this faith that we have will change our life and cause us to live differently. Works in faith are a natural byproduct of our faith. Just like the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit living in you, if the Spirit of God is living in you, there will be fruit that comes from that. There will be uh, validation, there will be evidence of the Spirit living in you, and there will be fruit. There will be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. All these things that are of the Spirit, they're not of yourself. It's something that, that lives through you as you are following Jesus. So those things are works in your life that come from being a follower of Jesus. And it's beautiful. It gives us what we need to live out this life in works, not to try to get the favor of God, but because we already have the favor of God. And it's evident in our life. So what I'd like to give you today is my points about putting our money where our mouth is. I wanna give you some principles for this living faith, to make sure that we're not living a dead faith as James 
warns us against in, his, in the second chapter there. And the first principle to help us is that our actions do not determine what we believe, but what we believe determines our actions. Now, it seems simple, but it's so easy to get this backwards. What we do does not determine what we believe. What we believe determines what we will do. And we can look at our own life and know what we believe. We can actually know what we care about based on what we've done. Sometimes it can be confusing for us. We think we believe something, but then when we're confronted with it, we realize we really don't believe it. And so we can convince ourselves, we can even fool ourselves sometimes into thinking we believe things we don't. But if you actually look at your past and you look at your life, you can see how you responded to things to see how you really believe about those things you care about in your life. Because what you believe determines what you will do. It works in faith, it works in all aspects of our life. James is not coming up with some new rule for Christians here saying, okay, Christian, now you say you love God, I better start seeing some works. You better start doing these things right here. You make a list and I'm gonna check it to make sure it's a good list and we're gonna go from there. He's not giving us a, a rule here or making commands in our life. What he's doing is giving us a glimpse into the human experience, helping us to understand what actually happens in life because this doesn't just apply to our faith, this applies to every area of our life. For instance, I believe that I need to eat to stay alive, so guess what I do? I eat. Too much sometimes, but I eat. I make sure that I'm sustaining my life. I also believe that, that my brakes on my car will stop me, right? We believe that. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't drive our car. We sure wouldn't drive it the way we drive it if we didn't believe our brakes would work. But we believe they're gonna work, that's why we drive our car. You don't, you don't drive your car hoping that that will make you believe your brakes work. But you do it because you know what they do. You go to work, you get up in the morning, you go to work, even if it's a job you don't really love, you go because you believe that your boss is going to pay you the compensation that they've agreed upon. I, I, I bet if I asked for a show of hands of those of you that would go to work, if you did not believe you were gonna get paid, I bet there wouldn't be any hands going up. Because we go because we believe, we don't go there hoping that that will make me believe that I'm gonna get paid. So, and we do this in so many aspects of our life. What we believe consistently determines our works and the things we do in our life. And our faith is no different. James is showing us that what you believe will determine what you do in your life. Because you see, you can't see faith. There's no such thing as like a faith meter. You can't see it, there's nothing I can do to see your faith by just looking at you, except through your works. Your works will tell me what your faith is. Your works will show me what you believe. In fact, James goes on in James 2, right after my text verse, the next couple verses in 18 and 19. Let me read those. He says, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. We show our faith by what we do. It's very clear. Now the question for us, based on what James said here, is does my faith look different than the demon's faith? And it's not a ridiculous question. It's something we need to look at and consider. I believe that there's one God, so do the demons. I believe that the Bible is true, so do the demons. In fact, demons could probably pass a PhD level theology exam. So how is my faith different than them? 
It's by how I, what I believe about it and how that affects my life and how I live out my life. If I really believe what I say I believe, if I really believe the Bible, my life's going to resemble that. It's going to exemplify that. It's going to back it up. It's going to prove it. It's not going to look like a contradiction. That's what my faith has to look like. It's not enough to just say, yeah, I believe that there's one God. Because James says, I mean, he's going extreme here, but he's saying, well, the demons believe that too. They know it. It doesn't change them. It's got to be a faith that will change us in our life. And we look at, in, later in this chapter, the same chapter of James 2, we're not gonna read it, but he goes on to talk about a couple people that showed their faith by what they did. Rahab was one of them. She was a prostitute that was living in Jericho. And Jericho was part of the land that God would promise to the Israelites. And they were gonna go in and God was gonna give them the land. And they sent spies in to go spy out the land to see what they were getting themselves into. And when these spies came in, Rahab saw them and she said, oh, I, you guys are the guys that are gonna take this land. I know that your God is going to give you Jericho as your inheritance. She believed it, so what did she do? She hid those spies in her house so the men of the city couldn't kill them. Because she believed it. She showed what she believed by what she did. James also mentions Abraham, that Abraham believed God, that God was going to save his son. He believed him, he gave him a son, Isaac, in his old age and promised him that this was going to be, he was gonna carry on his name and be a great nation. And God said, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him up on Mount Moriah. And Abraham believed God that he was gonna resurrect his son, do whatever he had to do. So he went and put his son on an altar. And it says that, and, and James says that because of, he did this, he showed what he believed by what he did. That's what it looks like in our life. Our words should back up our, our, our actions should back up our words and our faith. So let me give you my second one. My second principle is that works without faith is also dead. James says that faith without works is dead. Works without faith are dead too. How many of you know it's easier sometimes just to do stuff for God than to actually believe in him and wait for him? Now, I won't ask for a show of hands for that either, but I, if I did, if we were honest, probably all of our hands would go up, including mine. Sometimes it's just easier to do things for God than to really believe him and trust him and wait for him. I mean, if, you're, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are waiting for God for something today. Every one of us. You should be. We're all waiting for God. He doesn't, he doesn't do things instantly when we ask him. Waiting is a, an enormous part of the Christian life, is waiting for God, waiting for his timing. But how, how often is it so easy for us to rather than wait for God for, for a spouse or for a job or for uh, a new house, a bigger house or a nicer car or the things we need, how much easier is it for us to just take matters into our own hands and maybe throw God a token prayer and ask him to bless it? It's real easy to do, isn't it? rather than waiting on him, rather than trusting in him. And we do, we do works that really don't involve faith. Or I should say there's faith involved, but the faith is in ourselves, not in him. And we miss out on what God really wants us to do because we're unwilling to wait for him. And so I, I know that, would, that could elicit the question, well, so are you saying that I don't have to do anything? I just sit on my hands and wait for God all the time? No, unless God says to wait. Sometimes we still, have to, we still have to do things, we still have to do our works, but there's a difference between works that are done in faith in me and works that are done in faith in God. It'll be completely different in how it manifests and how it unfolds and how it looks in my life. 
If I'm doing my works in my own faith, then I'm getting anxious in it. There's fear. There's all other kinds of things that are motivating me. When I'm working, but I'm doing it because of faith in God, there's peace, there's rest, there's trust. Complete different manifestation that comes along with it. But our works without faith are dead. Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith chapter, as many call it, talks about uh, the faith of those that have gone before us. And it starts off by telling us what faith is. I'm gonna read verse one and then jump down to verse six. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So faith is about believing in something that you can't see. It's about something that doesn't make sense all the time, but believing in it even though we cannot see it. And then we jump down to verse six, it says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So if we do things, they're saying without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if, that means if you're doing things, but you're not doing them in faith, in God, you're not pleasing him. In fact, it's impossible to please him if we're doing the things because we have faith in ourselves or we're just being impatient or whatever it is. The true faith is the only way to please God and doing the things through that faith. I think we all want to please God. But it doesn't start with doing stuff for him. It starts with having faith in him. There will still be stuff we do, but it's about where our faith is. And we cannot please God if we're not moving in faith in him. And works, they are important. But what we're seeing here is that the motive is just as important. Why we do what we do. Is it doing it trusting him or is it doing it because I'm taking matters into my own hands? And when you, if you know the scriptures and you, you know there, there's multiple judgments that God has for us as humans that are coming in the future. One obviously is the, the big one, the, they call it the, the great white throne. That's where everybody's gonna stand before the throne of God. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you're gonna be on this side. And if you're not, you're gonna be on this side. He's gonna separate them. The ones that were Christians, followers of Jesus, they're gonna to go to be with him for eternity. And the ones that were not are gonna be separated from him in hell for eternity. That's a, that's a big one. That's the one you wanna be on the good side, for sure. But then there's another judgment that's called the judgment seat of Christ. That's completely different. This comes after the great white throne judgment. This is just for Christians. There's a judgment that will come just for Christians that's going to measure your works and see why you did your works, how you did them, and what was the motivation, and what was it for, where was your faith in your works. In fact, Paul says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, I'll read this passage here real quick in verse 10. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done for your works while in the body, whether good or bad. So we're going to be judged for the things we do, the works that we do. Now, this is not a salvation judgment. This is for those that are already, you already got your ticket. You're already guaranteed to go to heaven. This is about the rewards we're going to get going into heaven. Now, this is something that can, it, it weirds a lot of people out because it's not clear exactly what those rewards are. What we know, what I know is I know my God well enough to know that if he's gonna reward me, it's gonna be pretty stinking good. And I want it. <laughs> I want it and I want it bad. And I don't want my reward on earth, I want it in heaven. Because my rewards on earth are gonna last a couple years at best. In heaven, it's gonna be eternity. 
So he's going to measure our works. So this is, this is directly from our God telling us that, hey, your works, what you do matters. And it matters why you do them and how you do them. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, he talks about it again. And he says that our works will be shown for what they were, that they're going to be tested by fire. And basically, if they were done glorifying God, if they were done in faith, they're going to withstand and you're going to get your reward. If not, it says they're going to be burned up. And it says you'll still go to heaven, but you'll be like somebody escaping the flames. So our works matter. The, the, the motivation for our works matter. That's why without faith, it is impossible to please God, which means that our works without faith are dead and they will be burned up. So just like faith without works is dead, works without faith is dead too. They work together. Your faith and your works work together. It all comes from a place of faith. I believe if we focus on our faith, focus on our belief in God, that the works will flow out of it. Now listen, none of us are perfect. None of us have this to where everything we do is just, oh, I just do everything I do for the glory of God. Nobody does that. But the more we know, the more we understand, the more we are intentional about it. In fact, Paul said to Titus, he said, be careful to devote yourself to good works. This is a good reminder for us today. Okay, and then third and finally, we embrace the process of sanctification. Embrace the process of sanctification. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Bible tells us that we are to be sanctified. Now, that's a big Christianese term that means to be set apart. It means to be made holy. In other words, in layman's terms, it just means to be more like Jesus. And we are called to be more like Jesus. We are called to, to look like him, to have his mind in our life, to be uh, more like him. But I put in that... In that point, I put process in quotation marks because sanctification is a process in our life. And we have to embrace it because we're gonna miss the mark many, many times. But sanctification is about us growing more like him. Now there is a sanctification that happens instantaneously when we are saved. The moment you become a Christian, the moment you become a follower of Jesus and you, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you are a part of the family of God, you are the, you are the sheep in the pen, you are the lost coin that was found, you are the son that is the prodigal son that is returned. However, whatever analogy you want to use, when you step into salvation, you are immediately sanctified. You are immediately set apart. You become part of the family of God. You are taken from death to life. You are lost, now you're found. So there is a sanctification that happens immediately, but then there's also the sanctification, the becoming more like him that takes time. That as you grow in your faith, you become more like him. That as you understand his character more, you become more like him. As you understand his word more, and you read your Bible and it transforms your heart, you become more like him. When you get discipled by somebody that's further along on this journey than you are, you become more like him. You are being sanctified day by day in your life. And we have to embrace that process in our life. And works are a part of the sanctification process. The works that we do are a part of this. The more we grow, the more consistently we work for the Lord. The more consistently we do things that we do for the Lord. You know, when I was young in my faith and I was passionate and I was fired up because I got saved and I just loved Jesus and I had zeal all over the place, but I also had a lot of distractions. I had a lot of other things that were pulling me and pulling my attention 
to those things as well. Not even, not even necessarily sins, just things that were just personal interests, personal things that I wanted. And as I've grown in my faith and as I've grown and become more and more sanctified and understanding the, more, the Lord more, and I, I've seen more of his faithfulness, I've seen more of his goodness, I've seen more of his kindness and his mercy and his forgiveness in my life, the less those distractions are prominent in my life. Those things get to be weeded out more and more as I grow in my faith. And as I grow, my desire to do more and more for Jesus grows. And my desire to do less and less for me also grows. Where I want it to be less about me and more about him. And as we see his goodness, as we experience his faithfulness, it affects why we do what we do. At least it should. It should affect us in really powerful ways. Becoming more like him follows salvation. And it should follow salvation naturally as we grow. Just like night follows day. It should just flow from it and follow it. We will, as we become more and more like him, we will walk in righteousness. We will walk in holiness. We will walk in the will of God. We will desire his purpose more than we will desire our own as we grow. But embrace the process. Don't try to, if you have somebody in your life that's been following Jesus and loving Jesus for 60 years and you've been saved for a month, don't try to look just like them because you'll end up having to fake it <laughs> because it's not, we're not there yet. God doesn't instantly change everything in our life overnight. He helps us to grow in that and it affects our works too. And here's what's so beautiful about it. When we miss it, we just repent. I, I, I say it all the time and I'll continue to say it. We as Christians should be the most repenting people on the planet because we're more aware when we miss the mark. And I don't know about you, but I miss the mark every day. I can't think of one day in the last 50 years that I did not miss the mark. Some days more than others, for sure. But let me tell you, having a lifestyle of repentance is one of the most freeing things you'll ever do in your life. It is so freeing. When you understand the word of God and you understand the character of God, that he instantly forgives when you repent, that he instantly cleanses you and washes you white as snow. I mean, I could get in the habit of repenting every 10 minutes just to make sure. <laughs> but we take it to the extreme too, just like anything else. It's not necessary. But when the Lord shows you that you've missed it, if he's showing you right now that, man, every work I've ever done has been for myself, or my works that I've even thought were for the Lord were really just me doing it for myself and hoping that he would bless it, and you're, that maybe that's hit you today, you just repent. We just say, God, I missed the mark. I missed the mark. That's what sin is. It's literally just missing the mark. And we know that he is faithful and just. You want to see the faithfulness of God in your life, church? I know we all do. Every one of us wants to see God's faithfulness. You know one place you were guaranteed 100% of the time to see his faithfulness is when you repent. He is faithful to forgive. He is faithful to wipe it clean. He is faithful to take the guilt and the shame and to wash it away every time, every time. You wanna see God's faithfulness? Learn a lifestyle of repentance when you know you messed up. You will see his faithfulness every time. There's never been one time that someone has asked God to forgive him and he said no. When we've done it with a pure heart and when we've come to him and confessed to him, the Bible is incredibly clear and I've experienced it in my life many, many times. 
Our faith will call it, cause us to do works. And this is what's so beautiful is because when we, when our faith causes us to do works, those works will actually see the faithfulness of God and it'll cause our faith to grow even more. So the, the, the works beget faith, beget works, beget faith. It just, it, it snowballs. It, it works with each other. They work together. Works and faith are meant to go together like a hand in a glove. And you'll see your faith grow as you step out and you do the works that you, that you say you believe. God will meet you in that place. You'll see his faithfulness and your faith will grow. I'm so passionate about this in the church because I believe so oftentimes in the church, we don't get to see the faithfulness of God. We don't get to see the goodness of God because we're not willing to really do the works of the things we say we believe. I believe it, but I just don't know if I believe it enough to do it. And so we, don't, we miss out because sometimes seeing the faithfulness of God, he's always faithful, but seeing it oftentimes is on the other side of the works. You know, Abraham, when he went and he took his son and he put him on the altar, he believed that God would raise him, so he did the work, and guess what happened? James tells us very clearly in, in verse 22 of James 2. James is talking about Abraham. Look what he says in verse 22. He says, you see that his faith, this is Abraham, his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Church, this is beautiful. It's beautiful. He believed it, he did it, and it made his faith better. So he believed it again, he did it again, and it made his faith even better. Whatever that thing was. He didn't have to, he took his Isaac just one time. But it, it grows our faith. We get to see God moving in our life. If you have to think back 10, 15, 20 years to where you saw the manifest faithfulness of God in your life in a powerful way that overwhelmed you, chances are you're not doing the things that you say you believe. Sometimes we have to do things, our works sometimes are things that look crazy to the world, that feel even crazy to us. Where we sometimes have to step out and say, I hope I'm right. I hope that I'm not crazy. I hope that I'm not being presumptuous. I believe God said to do this, so I'm gonna do it. And God will honor you in that place. He will meet you in that place and he will show his faithfulness in your life. Praise God. Would you stand with me please as we close? Sanctification is definitely a process in our life. But we can do our part to make sure that it is fertile ground. We can cultivate the sanctification in our life. We're not required. Listen, there is no guarantee in your Christian life that you will grow and become more and more sanctified all the time. There are plenty of Christians that are no more sanctified at 60 than they were at 20 because they haven't cultivated that in their life. They haven't really done the works that their faith would require them to do or would even motivate them to do and they haven't allowed the fruit of the Spirit of God in them to really be manifest in such a way. Don't let that be you. But if it is you, repent. If you've missed it, repent. I'm not gonna shame you and bring you up here and make you do something publicly in front of everybody. You can do it silently at your chair, but do it. Don't miss out on it. The faithfulness of God is guaranteed in our life. I'm challenging you today, church, to put your money where your mouth is. Figure out what you believe and let your works come out of that. 
And if you feel like my works are terrible, I'm not doing really much of anything that backs up what I say I believe, then you need to focus on what you believe. Go back to what you think you believe and ask God to show you where you don't believe and what you need to do to get to that place where you do believe. Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Some of us, it's as simple as just get in your word, get in the Bible, read your Bible. We have the greatest privilege in all the world. We get to read the words of the king of the universe on pages every day, whenever we want to. Take advantage of it. Pray, talk to God. You don't have to talk in King James to be able to talk to God. You just come to him as you are. Come before the king. He will receive you and accept you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you today. Thank you so much for your word. Your word is what transforms our hearts. God, I wish we could just have our hearts transformed one time and we were good to go from there, but I know enough to know that our hearts need transformation every day. Consistent and constant transformation. So Lord, would you do that in us today? Let the seed that is planted produce in our lives today. And God, we want to put our money where our mouth is. Would you let our works back up what we say we believe? And where we have fallen short, God, we repent. Lord, where I have fallen short, I repent. Where I have done things in my own strength, I know that there are times that I've tried to lead this church in my own strength, Lord. And I repent of that. Lord, I wait for you. I wait on you, God. I trust you, Lord. I know your word says that it is impossible to please you without faith. So Lord, would you stir our faith today? Stir our faith today, God. Help us to trust the process. Sanctify us, Lord. Make us more like you, Jesus. You are worthy of our lives. You are worthy of all that we are. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for even giving us the privilege of working, of doing works for you, God, in response to your amazing grace that is overwhelming in our lives. Thank you for saving us, Lord. Thank you for saving our souls, making a way that we could know you and love you and be in relationship with you. We thank you for it. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen.